You're listening to the St. Mark's Podcast for September 27th, 2020, the 17th Sunday after Pentecost. Today's sermon was given by the Reverend Elizabeth Carnsey. It's based on Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 13, and Matthew chapter 21, verses 23 to 32. My ordination anniversary was last Wednesday, and I marked 14 years of priesthood. These anniversaries come and go unceremoniously, which is fine by me. It's rightly a day for me to contemplate more than to celebrate, to give thanks more than to throw a party. So I took some time to look back on the year and to reflect on the church and on my own evolution and growth as a priest and as a person of faith. In 14 years, I've read and heard more than enough reasons why people do or don't go to church and plenty of arguments over why or why not to believe in God. People argue over beliefs and practices, but in the end, arguments fall away when we meet at the Lord's table to break bread and remember Him. In some ways, these 14 years, plus the three years I spent in seminary, have felt like an entire epoch. We saw the consecration of Jean Robinson as the first openly gay bishop of the Episcopal Church, It exacerbated fissures in the Anglican Communion. Some of you might remember the Windsor Report and flying bishops and spin-off dioceses. We witnessed the election and consecration of the first female presiding bishop with Catherine Jefferts Shorey, followed by Michael Curry, the first African-American presiding bishop. And the Episcopal Episcopal Church found its way to include same-sex couples in rites for holy matrimony. We weathered the challenges presented by 9-11, and we expanded our understanding and engagement in many ways with those of other faith traditions. None of these things came easily. And now we face the crucible of a global pandemic that has all but shut the church as we know it down in many corners of the world. Indeed, one of the things that sets this year apart for me is that it certainly is the first time churches have been lumped together with bars and strip clubs as places to avoid, all in the interest of public health. Jesus, who famously ate with prostitutes and sinners, might have clipped and saved some of those headlines just for fun. But jokes aside, I'm grateful our parish has stayed the course and figured out a safe, if imperfect, way to continue to worship together and at least at our 9 a.m. service, to break the bread of Holy Communion together in person. We know more than ever that Jesus is with us always, just as he promised, and he knows no boundaries of time or space in gathering us together. And although I have seen a lot of changes and transformations in my short or long time as a priest, no matter what is going on in the politics of the world or the politics of the Church, There are some things that never change at all for me, no matter what social and cultural upheavals are taking place. The main one, of course, is the table, the anchor that is always our defining, unifying feast of Holy Communion, where we are not only fed by Christ, but transformed into his body to go out into the world to embody him everywhere we go. Jesus included and fed everyone, even Judas, his betrayer. But his church has often forgotten this and barred the door to many. The institution has always risen and fallen on who is welcomed or excluded from coming to the Lord's table. 
Another bedrock for me is contained in our collect of the day, the one Peter read near the beginning of this service, that begins with these words. O God, you declare, chiefly, you declare your power chiefly in showing mercy and pity. God's power is not displayed chiefly in anger or judgment or condemnation. God always calls us to look for ways to reconcile, not divide. Jesus is fond of parables in which a man has two sons. One son is usually cast in a better light at first, but we come to find out each son is getting something wrong somewhere. What sticks in our craw about these parables is that no one seems to get punished beyond the consequence of their own choices. And even that is never the end of their story. The doors to the kingdom of God are always left open. God's justice economy is different than ours, but the goal is to learn how to see the way God sees. If Jesus shows us anything about what God is like, he taught and demonstrated again and again that God's power is displayed chiefly in showing mercy and pity to the right and to the wrong, to the pure and to the impure, to the good and to the bad alike. This kind of power often offends our sensibilities. We like our heroes and our villains, and of course we always think we're on the side of the heroes. But Jesus is free of these ego-driven ways. In today's parable from Jesus, a man has two sons. Both are asked to go to work in their father's field. One says yes, the other no. Each changes his mind and does the opposite. Neither gets it completely right, and neither is cut off from the family. But we always want to separate and define who is right and who is wrong. Was it the first son or the second son, the older or the younger? Was it the ones who came early or the ones who come late? The Protestants or the Catholics, the liberals or the conservatives, red states or blue states? These divisions that we set up do not exist around God's table. But God's power finds mercy and pity for us all. And our divisions will neither save us nor protect us from anything. In fact, they may destroy us. Another anchor to faith that I continue to learn and relearn over time is expressed in our reading from Paul's letter to the Philippians, a passage often referred to as the Christ hymn. To me, it functions as a guide to rewiring our hearts and minds so we too can live by this merciful way of God, that is, so we can let the same mind be in us that was in Christ Jesus, as Paul says it. Do, not, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility regard others as better than yourselves. Let each of you look not to your own interests, but to the interests of others. Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but emptied himself, taking the form of a slave, being born in human likeness, and being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." This passage could easily sum up what Jesus means when he says, I am the way. Jesus lived a path of emptying himself, so to speak, as he went along his way, not clinging to anyone or anything. 
He let go of fear and emotion, judgment and blame, none of which can be trusted in a difficult time or crisis situation. He emptied himself. It's from the Greek word kenosis, which is self-emptying. And from the self-emptying came a spaciousness within himself that made him fully present, fully engaged, fully available and ready to give love, mercy, and pity to anyone who is ready to receive. One widely used spiritual exercise for this way of self-emptying and a longtime anchor in my own life is centering prayer. It's a practice taught for decades to Christians around the world by the late Trappist monk, Father Thomas Keating, and his student, Cynthia Bourgeau, and many others. In a nutshell, if there were an outward visual illustration for this inner spiritual work, it would look like this. Clench your fists right now together wherever you are and hold them tight and then relax them open. It's the practice of doing this over and over. It would look like this. See what kind of release you experience just as you open your fists. In centering prayer, you sit for 20 minutes and you notice all the thoughts that come to you from the sublime to the ridiculous to the mundane, and one by one, you let them go. No judgment, no reaction, just noticing and letting go, like a butterfly touching down and taking off again. Over time, this builds a muscle in your heart-mind that allows you to simply allow things that happen to you to happen without reacting in fear and anxiety and anger. It allows you to have a space within yourself to receive God's presence and to make you ready to respond thoughtfully, calmly, and constructively. Jesus was not superhuman. He was fully human. And he shows us the way to become fully human too. We love to say, I'm only human, to explain away our frailties and shortcomings, when in reality we should say, I'm not human enough. The news headlines have caused many people to do more hand-wringing, even than hand-washing, over the last few weeks. Raging wildfires, incendiary political outbursts from every direction, the death of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, to name a few. But there have been some inspiring takeaways from all of the reports and remembrances of Justice Ginsburg. Slight of stature at under five feet tall and scarcely 100 pounds, she was not anyone's idea of a physical powerhouse. And yet with extraordinary influence, she won justice milestones for women and men. And this hard-won justice did not come through a lightning bolt, as the rabbi who gave her eulogy on Friday said, but case by case, brick by brick. And yet it was her character, not her cases, which solidified her stature and endeared people of all political stripes to her. As I consider my own spiritual anchors, I take inspiration from Ginsburg's long life of steady persistence and the kind, unflappable way she carried herself. She famously shared some of her mother's good advice. Don't be distracted by anger, envy, and resentment. They only sap your energy and waste time. When an unkind or thoughtless word is spoken, best to tune out. Don't yell. People won't listen. These principles take some serious spiritual maturity to live by. 
and the whole world could benefit from this wise counsel. Jesus consistently showed that kind of steady, steely resolve to live outside the fray of political tumult. He confronted the earthly powers of his day by demonstrating an alternative and opposite power, the power to show mercy and pity, especially to the least and the marginalized, but also to the privileged or the wrong and the wayward, when they were willing to see their need of it. Just like justice in our world, the kingdom of God does not come on a lightning bolt. It comes one heart at a time, one relationship at a time. These anchors to our faith, the everlasting presence of Jesus, the body of Christ that feeds and forms us, the way of self-emptying and transforming our minds to the mind of Christ, these anchors are no relief from the work we have to do day to day. They will not spare us from hard times, but they will see us through if we let them. Jesus never saw any part of his work completed in his day. He worked with one heart at a time, one encounter at a time, and he laid the foundation for all of us who come after him to continue his work first and foremost in ourselves, and then in turn among others. When it comes to Jesus, whose life altered the course of history, and whose church is called upon to embody his living presence of peace, reconciliation, and compassion in the world, we can't afford to let headlines or our moods or emotions dictate our hope, our spiritual strength, and our inner peace. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Let him anchor us and show us the way forward day by day. Amen. You can find more sermons on our website at www.stmarksnewcanon.org.